Um, just be with Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from Acts 15, verses 19 to 28. But before I do that, I'm just going to give a little background. Norman had asked me to give a background, so we don't have to read the whole chapter. Um, I think most of us, a lot of us probably know this is the Jerusalem Council that we're going to be reading about here. Um, and the first verse may give you a little insight of what was going on. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. There was a great dispute in the church. And they weren't sure what to do about this. And so they had the Jerusalem Council. Um, and they worked through this dispute. And, this, um, and that's what we're going to read about in verses 19 to 28. And I think I'll start at 19. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas surnamed Barnabas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. Interesting to note, Silas was the chief man among the brethren. When we think of Paul and Barnabas and Silas, we think of Silas as the lesser, and yet he was the leader of a church and later went on to be with them in their missionary journeys. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicily. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with the words subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. And it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. You may be seated. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him... Of him that filleth all in all. Those verses from Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, speaking of Christ and his relationship with the church. I've chosen today to talk about the Christian and church membership. The Christian and church membership. So we here and many churches have membership and is question we'd like to ask and try to attempt to answer biblically is, is membership a Christian, is it a biblical concept? And if not, does it, does it, can it synchronize with Christianity? The Christian and church membership. And so I ask, what is membership or what do we mean by membership or what would you think are words that would be synonyms of membership? And I had asked a group earlier, and they said, when they think of membership, church membership, membership in a local church, they, uh, they, 
Well, they had a, a couple different words and synonyms that they suggested. But what do you think? What is a synonym for membership? What do you think of when you think of membership? Would you like to respond? Being a part of. Being a part of. Good. A part of. Covenant. Fellowship. Fellowship. Accountability. Accountability. Good. Good words. Um, a group of pastors together said this in addition to what you just mentioned. They said community. That's kind of what you were saying, wasn't it? Sacrifice. Belonging. Or being a part of, Jake. Belonging. And accountability. Like you said, Joseph. Community, sacrifice, belonging, accountability, and covenant. When I think of, yeah, I think all of those are right, all of those are good, and as we merge them all together, we can kind of come up with a, uh, a thought or a complete, full-orbed um, of what church membership is. I think commitment is included there as well. Commitment. When you are a member of a local church, especially, and this is true also when you're members of other organizations or clubs or groups, commitment is always there, but especially church membership, I would submit that Membership and commitment are synonymous terms, are synonyms, along with all these other words that we mentioned. Commitment. Commitment. And someone has said, Mr. Rick McDaniel has said, and I'll read this quote. You see what you think. How do you agree about, do you agree with what he's saying? Rick McDaniel said, Becoming a member of a local church is a defining moment in your Christ followership. It is a statement that you make, it is a statement that you take your commitment to Christ seriously enough to make a commitment to Christ's church in a local place. Membership is making a commitment and, it, and communicating it, it in a public way. Like the case with any commitment, Successful people are just ordinary people who make commitments others are unwilling to make, end of quote. And I just notice in that quote, which I think he is right on, I just noticed that he used the word commitment there five times in, in that quote, in that paragraph. And I repeat again what he says, that becoming a member of a local church is a defining moment in your Christ followership. Now, Ephesians 1, and 23, the verses that I just read when I got up a few minutes ago, links Christ and the church. It links the bridegroom and the bride. And think about that as I say that quote one more time. Becoming a member of a local church is a defining moment in your Christ followership. There it is. Church and Christ linked together. And I ask the question, can they be unlinked and there still be a Christian? All right, well, 
I'm thinking especially of four parts of four angles that we should be that we should be looking at and considering today in reference to the Christian and church membership four points in the outline and the first one is well before I introduce that let me read a quote by this brother by this man and this is a to me it's very interesting that it's a millennial that's saying this so that means that he's probably between 22 and 37 or something like that. He's a millennial. He's a person who has oh, come to the age of adulthood and accountability around the turn of the millennium. He's a millennial. There's just a lot of you millennials here today. I see lots of you sitting there. His name is Aaron Shamp, and he says, We love Jesus but loving the church is much more difficult. Is there a good reason to commit yourself to it? And it's just possible that some millennials and others sitting here, older and younger, kind of ask that question at time. Again, we love Jesus, but loving the church is much more difficult. Is there a good reason to commit yourself to it? He answers the question and goes on with the quote, Yes, there is. Church membership is not only biblical, but it provides many benefits for the Christian as well as the body of Christ. So, he makes two points there. He says that church membership is biblical and there's benefits. Let's think about the benefits. Point number one, church membership and the benefits thereof. Church membership and benefits. Do you agree with Mr. Shump? Are there benefits in church membership? Uh, I see some, I saw a head nodding, I heard an mm-hmm, and I heard an amen. If indeed that's the case, what are they? Can you help me with that? What are the benefits of church membership? Now you might be a member here at Weavertown, sitting here today, you might be a member somewhere else, that's all good. What are the benefits, if indeed, since indeed there are some? Assurance. What was that, Eli? Uh, assurance. Assurance. Good. More? Say it again. Encouraged Being encouraged by others. What was that? I'm sorry, I'm kind of deaf today. All right, thank you. Security, Security. excellent. Protection, good. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Uh, let's just think uh, about some of these. Uh, you kind of mentioned these. Um, I think what some of you were saying was stability. The church, membership in the church provides stability and growth. R really, if you are a loner and aren't part of a group, how can you develop and grow and become more stable without being part of a group? I'm, I'm thinking about... Oh, being at school, you're part of a group in your grade, right? I'm thinking about families, you're part of a family. 
You were born into a family with a mom and dad and maybe uncles and aunts, uh, maybe siblings, and that family changes as time goes on, of course. But really, how can you grow if one is a loner and not part of a group? And especially so, especially so in church membership. I don't think that I would have grown nearly as much or be where I am, which isn't necessarily where it should be, but a lot of the growth that I've experienced in life, maybe most of the spiritual growth that I've experienced, and I think you're thinking along those same lines too, are because of being a part of the church, of a local church, uh, membership in a church, stability and growth. And I think one of you said something about accountability earlier. That's a strange type of benefit, perhaps, is it not? Of accountability and rebuke. Yeah, yeah. Not only stability and growth, but also accountability and rebuke. There are times when brothers come, sisters come, and just mention that um, there's areas where I am weak and where I could improve. And that is a strange type of a benefit, but it's a wonderful benefit. One of the verses in Scripture that I more discovered more recently is in Psalm 141.5, where David is praying. If you turn there, you will notice that he, the first word in the chapter in the psalm is, Lord... The first phrase, Lord, I cry unto thee. David is praying, and in verse 5 of Psalm 141, he prays. And as he does that, uh, maybe you could just test your own self, yourself, and if this is your prayer, let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. There is no better place for the righteous to smite me and to reprove me than in a church setting. That's a wonderful benefit of church membership and being a part of a local assembly of believers, accountability and rebuke. I don't think that any of you really mentioned this one, or maybe I didn't quite hear, but... Uh, the church is a wonderful place to contribute your gifts and talents and to serve. Now, again, other groups and clubs and organizations that you're a part of, also you can do that. Uh, fire companies and committees and all kinds of things. But especially in the local church setting, when you are a member, you get to contribute and serve the Lord and God's people. Not only are you being provided stability and growth, not only is the church an excellent place for, uh, for accountability and rebuke, but it's also an excellent place where you, each of us, me, you, can contribute and serve in ways that build up others within the group, within the church, within the local congregation. And we could just go on and on here about ways that you can contribute and serve. It 
could be a well-known position, or it could be doing something that nobody really notices except God the Lord. But to contribute and serve in ways that you can. I'm thinking about maybe you really don't think that you're able or fit to be a Sunday school teacher, but perhaps you were voted in to be one. You can contribute and serve in your own unique way. Maybe there's children in the community that you are noticing that others aren't, and you could bring them to summer Bible school, or you could be involved in children's clubs, which, we, which you p- folks say Wednesday church, Craig Stolzfus just gave a report about that a week or two ago, about that ministry. Um, You could be on the food committee or minister to old people where no one else ever notices or knows or about 150 or 200 other ways and places to contribute and serve. A wonderful benefit of church membership is that you can do something for the Lord. Another one that I think of is uh, simply family love. There's nothing quite like love in a family, the physical family, right? There's nothing quite like love in God's family in a local church. There is no better way to grow in Christ. What do you think of this? There is no better way to grow in Christ than to become a member a faithful, contributing member of a local church. Church membership and benefits. You might be thinking of others. We certainly didn't exhaust that subject at all. But to grow in Christ, especially, benefits of church membership. Let's go on to the second point. So the first one that we thought about, church membership and benefits. The second point that I'm thinking of is, is that the universal church or the local church? Universal or local? There's a lot of sentiment these days for loving the universal church of Christ, the church of God over the whole earth, the Catholic church, which... Catholic is a good word that only means universal or worldwide. But a lot of people don't really like the idea of a local church and commitment to a local church. Their commitment is to Christ, certainly, and to his church on earth, indeed. But what about the local church? In response to this, Ricky Jones, who is a Presbyterian pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma, has written uh, somewhat extensively in an article about reasons uh, to insist that people that are members of the universal church should also have local membership. And he gives three points here. He gives three points why... If one is a Christian, he should also be a member of a local church. The first one, he says, otherwise, it's just not, it's not possible for someone to be a Christian, a member of the church of Christ at large, and not be a member of a local church. It's not possible. And he says, and I quote him, 
to imply you can be part of the greater community without first being part of the smaller is not logical. You cannot be part of Rotary International without also being part of a local chapter. You cannot be part of the universal human family without first being part of a small immediate family. End of quote. So he says it's really not possible. Maybe he's a little bit radical there. Um, but let's think about that, his thought. And as I think of that, I also think of Val Yoder, who is a, has been a teacher at SMBI, Sharon Mennonite Bible Institute, and is maybe pretty well known in our circles. You might have sat under his teaching. And he talks in a book that he wrote, I Will Build My Church, he talks about kind of the same thing as, as Mr. Jones when Mr. Jones says that you cannot be part of the universal human family without first being part of a small intermediate family. Val Yoder goes to some detail in saying that you cannot have a human body without the body systems. And you can't have body systems without the various organs. And you can't have organs without individual cells. Do you follow the analogy? So, I might be an individual cell. Okay, so it takes cells to make organs, and it takes organs to make body systems, and it takes body systems to have a body, he says. In the same way, he says you cannot have a human race without racial groups, and you can't have racial groups without families, and you can't have families without individuals, all right? Kind of that same progression. You have to have individuals to have a family. You have to have families to have a racial group. You have to have racial groups to have a human race. And then he says that you can't have a universal church without denominations. And you can't really have denominations without local churches. And you can't have local churches without the individual believers. All right? Got to have believers to have a church, a local church. You have to have local churches to have the church denominations, and you have to have denominations to have the universal church. Maybe that's something that you, maybe that's something that I should think about just a little bit more. It, it takes them all. So, it's not possible, perhaps, to be a, a member of the universal church without also having local membership. Well, that's what Ricky Jones suggests. He also says it's not biblical to be one without the other. And then he, and he says, and I quote, Every letter in the New Testament assumes Christians are members of local churches. The letters themselves are addressed to local churches. They teach us how to get along with other members, how to encourage the weak within the church, how to conduct ourselves at church, and what to do with unrepentant sinners in the church. They command us to submit to our elders and encourage us to go to our elders to pray. All these things are impossible if you aren't a member of a local church. Asking where the Bible commands you to be a church member is like asking where the USGA rule book for golf insists you be a human. The whole book is addressed to the church. End of quote. 
And then he goes, Mr. Jones goes on to say that it's also not healthful. So his points are it's not possible, it's not biblical, and it's not healthful. Again, living without church membership is not healthy. Independence, the desire to choose for yourself what's right and wrong, is at the heart of sin. Well, that's something that perhaps people like you and I should think about. Let me read that again. Living without church membership is not healthy. Independence, the desire to choose for yourself what's right and wrong, is at the heart of sin. You need the humility lesson of submitting to flawed elders. You need the encouragement of sharing victories with your church. You need the fellowship of sharing sufferings with your church. You need to know we're all in this life together and we won't walk away from you just because you let us down or we disagree. Together we build each other up into the image of Christ. No one can make it alone. I encourage you to rethink the importance of church, of church membership. Our fellowship may be an affliction, but we are a glorious affliction, and we will walk into glory together. End of quote. Now maybe you're here, and you're thinking, yeah, that's all ideal, wonderful, right, and good. If only I would be part of a local church that would be more perfect and have less conflicts and less squabbles and less disagreements and where I'm a part of or my experience in life hasn't been at all like you're talking about Norman I agree that there are situations and where it seems like the church the local church is much less than it should be or could be but then again, if I, if you individually, as one of those individuals or cells, live faithfully before the, the Lord in obedience to the Bible, biblical obedience, and filled it with the Holy Spirit, you, I, can help the situation at the church where I'm a part of, where you're a part of. There will never be a perfect church until we get into God's presence. And interestingly and wonderfully, he, God, talks about a church without spot and or wrinkle. That will be in the future when we get to be with him. In the meantime, I encourage and I exhort you and me together to individually and as a church be as biblical under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as we can be for the glory of God. So we've talked now about church membership and the benefits. We've talked about are we universal versus local. Let's think together now about another kind of burning issue of the day, and that's baptism and membership. Baptism and membership. And as I think of that, I just think again of this book by Val Yoder, which you might have in your house. It would be neat if you would. He has thought about this at quite some length, and he can say it so much better than I can. And let me just read a few paragraphs on this subject, on the subject of membership in the local church. And try to stay with him here and not tune out because he really does have some 
good things to say. Membership was not a separate concept from baptism in the church of Acts. It is inconceivable that the early church, that the early Christians would have said, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be numbered with them. They added to their numbers daily such as would be saved, which clearly indicates a distinctive line between those that were in and those that were not. Those that are saved in the New Testament were converted. They had changed from being Lord of their lives to placing Jesus as Lord. They looked to him to make their decisions, not to the fleshly desires. Intrinsic to the lordship of Jesus Christ was a willingness to submit to the human authorities that he had set up. To place Jesus as Lord, but refuse to submit to the messengers that he sent, was interpreted as disobedience to the Lord himself. And then Mr. Yoder goes on to make a disclaimer about that we ought to obey God rather than men, of course. Baptism, therefore, signifies birth into a new frame of mind, into a new God-ordained authority structure. Membership and baptism point to the same event and cannot be divorced from one another. And I think that's significant enough just to read that again. Membership and baptism point to the same event and cannot be divorced from one another. There is not the slightest indication that there was a subsequent service to the baptism when the early Christians became members of the local church. To be born without a family is to become an orphan. This is contrary to the whole nature of God. He puts his people in spiritual families. A child born into a family automatically receives the last name of that family. Likewise, a person spiritually reborn in a local setting should, at least initially, automatically become a part of that church family. Are not spiritual orphans to receive greater pity than genetic ones? To assume that we that they need no family connections to a local church since God is their family is to deny the validity of the structures that God himself has set up. Let's go on and think about the fourth part of the outline of the sermon today. We talked and thought about church membership and benefits. We thought about universal versus local a little bit about membership, about baptism and membership and how that really ideally they are one and the same, could, should happen together. And now let's just think about membership and standards or as we call them, brotherhood agreements. People might call them standards. They might call them guidelines or brotherhood agreements. Is there anywhere in Scripture where there were guidelines given to the church, where there was standards and even written standards um, applied and where where, where the church was given a set of standards? Well, yes, there is, and it's in Acts 15, the passage that John read just a while back and you might just want to look at that passage again or turn to there and we just would like to make a couple observations about the setting there and what happened there. 
And a lot of these thoughts I get from John Koblenz. And again, you might be familiar with him. He's a teacher at Faith Builders Educational Programs, has written a number of books, and is a person that the Lord is using well in the church at large these days. So here we are at Acts 15, and I think it's so interesting and instructive and even wonderful that this spirit-led congregation, is there any doubt that they were spirit-led? Where is it that they say, it seemed good, yeah, verse 28, which John read, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to give you these standards. Basically, that's what they were saying. And this spirit-led congregation didn't consider it intrusive, these apostles and elders together, didn't consider it intrusive to give other people a list. In this case, it was a list of four things, a list of things, um, of standards. But the real interesting thing is, and the real wonderful thing is, that when the people that the standards were made for were given and shown the standards, verse 31 in Acts 15, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. These Gentiles in Antioch and these standards were given to a larger setting than just the church at Antioch. But when, they, when these standards were read, they rejoiced for the consolation. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something? Uh, they didn't view them or consider them, these standards, these guidelines, they didn't view them as, a, as against their liberty in Christ. They didn't view them as being legalism. Legalistic. They didn't view them as making it harder to live the Christian life. They rejoiced for the consolation. What does consolation mean? It means encouragement. And you would notice in the modern versions that most of them have something about encouragement. These standards, can you imagine, were an encouragement to the people. So I'm just guessing here that if I'm the kind of person where standards are more of a hindrance and something just to get out of the way and aren't an encouragement in the Christian life and for the Christian life, that maybe I'm not quite yet where God would have, us, have me to be on this subject. Having said that, there is much more to the Christian life than standards, but it's a part of the Christian life. There's much more to the Christian life than that. But to make that observation that these people who the standards were given to just thought it was the greatest thing. Then we'd, I'd like to point out also that these standards that were given, this list of four items, verse 20, are really pretty practical. They're not as much principles as they are applications. 
There is a difference between the principle and the application. Uh, we strive for our brotherhood agreements to be applications of scriptural principles. So, maybe it's not really in our standards, but we understand that we're not supposed to smoke. And so, why is that? Because the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not smoke cigarettes or cigars or e-cigarettes or anything like that. Does it? No. But the principle is there when it talks about holiness and, and living clean lives and taking care of our body. So the principle is there and we have... They didn't have any such application back then because maybe they didn't have cigarettes, all right? So we make application... The no smoking is an application to biblical principles. Now it's interesting that one of these, especially one of these, maybe more than one, but I'm thinking about things, no, I'm thinking about pollutions of idols. Eating meat that was given to idols, they were to abstain from pollutions of idols. Well, we don't have physical stone or wood carvings that we set up for idols today like the culture did back then. So, the applications, our applications are different than they were then. And Mr. Koblenz says, and I think it's very fitting, and I quote from him, the very nature of the meat offered to idols regulation being related especially no, being related specifically to that culture and not to ours helps us to realize that every culture will have its meat which the spirit-directed church will forbid. Another thing that we'd like to just think about a little bit, so we talked about that standards are not a threat to liberty. They're not legalism, but... Ideally, when, our, when we are right before God, they're actually a consolation and a help in our Christian life, number one. We, we talked about the principal application concept. Let's think now together about that this happened as a group decision. Did you notice that? Verse 22, then pleased that the apostles and elders with the whole church. Verse 23, and they wrote letters. Uh, it seems like they kind of wrote it together, kind of with, with input from various people as to the wording and how that all should be. It was a group decision. The Bible makes that so plain there in verses 22 and 23 of Acts 15. It was a group decision. Now, Peter had spoken here and had given his opinion at the Jerusalem conference and James had spoken there and gave his recommendation and Paul and Silas had spoken there and given examples of what's been happening in as they evangelized the Gentile world. Had anyone else spoken? 
Verse 7, and when there had been much disputing, oh, back then, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. And verse 13, and after they had held their peace, after Paul and Barnabas spoke, it seemed like there was a big silence after they had held their peace. All of that to say that this was a group decision. I think that is so important, so vital to notice. It was a group decision. So our brotherhood agreements, it was a brotherhood agreement, wasn't it? And in our brotherhood agreements, I think you might remember that just a couple years ago, we had various men's meetings, had a ladies' meeting, and uh, Dave often asks for your consideration, your input, your thoughts, and various of you wrote to us, to the pastors, there is just so much strength and protection there. A group decision. And to close this part, I'll read again what John Koblenz says. Having observed the group input, however, we should likewise note that the church leaders did take a leadership role in the process of reaching a decision. They did not decide this on the basis of majority vote. As wise leaders, they were sensitive to the input of their people. But ultimately, they reached a decision based on the scripture, and the people honored their leadership. The apostles' procedure was neither democratic nor dictatorial. There was dialogue, consideration, searching of the scriptures, and wise response. These are the marks of New Testament leadership. So, church membership and the benefits. Universal or local? Baptism and membership, do they belong together? And we come to the conclusion that really, ideally, they do come together. You might want to study that some more on your own. And then we talked some about membership and standards, membership and brotherhood agreements. It might be something else to think about and look in the Bible as, as to the early church, how uh, their function, their, um, their organization, and those kind of things. I think in bringing this to a close, I just want to mention that in the book of Ephesians especially, the Apostle Paul especially speaks of Christ and the church. Psalm, uh, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 is one of those places where they are linked, where Paul links them, where the Holy Spirit links them together. The church and Christ, the bridegroom and the bride. It would be interesting for you perhaps to go through the book of Ephesians in the next week or so. Maybe you need something a little different to do in your personal devotions and notice the, each of the times when the church and Christ are linked together in the book of Ephesians. It would, I think you would notice that there's quite a list of when Christ is mentioned, and in the same context, the same verse, maybe the same phrase, the church is mentioned. Christ and the church. So in this thought of the Christian and church membership, uh, 
Let's remember it's Christ and the church. It's the bridegroom and the bride. Thank God for the privilege of being a part of the bride of Christ. You, yourself, and me, myself, we are just little cells, ever so little microscopic parts of the body of Christ. Thank God for Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank God for his church. Thank God for the privilege of being a member of a local body of believers. Will you kneel together with me?